0: a very big welcome back to Straight Talk, the Mahindra Racing podcast. And hello to some of our new listeners and also those of you who are watching the podcast. My name is Nikki Shields and I'm very excited to say in the house this week, we have, of course, Mahindra Racing drivers, Alexander Sims and Alex Lynn with us. But we also have a third member joining today, broadcaster Jake Humphrey. Now, Jake hello how are you doing all right
1: welcome to north i'm gonna
0: give you a wonderful introduction
1: oh go for it yeah go for it
0: no 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 it's fine we'll do that in a sec um <laughs> tell us because actually you can see where we all are at the moment uh, normally we would all be together in the pit lane for our listeners yeah um of course we're actually not together we are all remote uh jake where are you in the world you look like you've got a rather lovely backdrop there in ho- at home
1: I am at home. You're right. I'm at home. I thought, like, putting myself in front of my bookshelf would make me look sort of smart and well-read and all the other things. These boys haven't released their autobiographies yet, so I don't I don't have those. Um, I'm at home. Uh, got sort of a bit of a day off. My wife has just emerged from the gym. Harriet, are you willing to come on camera and say hello? Oh, ah, yeah, sure. oh, yeah, I thought she'd say no. She obviously likes how her hair's looking today, so <laughs> no, come on and say hello. So this is Harriet, Hello, Mrs. Hello. H.
0: Hi, Hi Harriet. Yeah number uh,
1: alexander looking good harriet and nikki <laughs> and, good. and alex hey so basically the kids are at school um and we've we've both hanging out for the day so you know what it's like as a parent it's joyful absolutely joyful.
0: well we better make this podcast quick then so you can go and enjoy your day off together
1: <laughs> uh, this is the fun part
0: <laughs> <laughs> um and alex alexander how are you guys doing because uh well how has the reaction been to the switch, which has gone global? I mean, I'm now at the Formanary e Paddock in Valencia, and everyone is asking me about the switch. What's the response been like for you guys?
2: Yeah, it's been pretty positive. I mean, I think a lot of people were, um, yes, yeah, surprised at the the content and and the fact that we we went dancing and then gave the dancers the chance to drive race cars and. Um, yeah, I think we've been really, really well-received.
0: Like what... <laughs> Sorry, Alex. <laughs>
3: Sorry. No, I think just like what Simsie said, I think it's been it's been pretty cool. It was a cool experience.
0: Um, and for those who have not seen it, the Switch has been um, this incredible series by Mahindra Racing and by the two drivers, Alex and Alexander, they put in a sterling effort. At basically trading places with two incredible professional dancers. Um, and yes, it did result in Alex and Alexander doing a full-on dance. So if you haven't seen it yet, I would urge you to go and watch well done, boys they did an epic job. Watched, do you know what? I loved it,
1: Nikki. <laughs> it was there, was a pho- fun, there? there was a photo I saw, I think it was Alex, sort of standing with Karen, maybe, and they were both in the and I was like, Man, that guy needs to go on strictly come dancing or something. He clearly oh. He oh. was. He was enjoying. Oh, he was enjoying it. He was enjoying it. You could tell.
3: You know me, Jake. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to um, go above and beyond the call of duty, yeah. and um, you know these things have to happen.
1: Absolutely.
0: Formulary's very Swayze, as Karen put it. <laughs> uh, now I'm going to give Jake the introduction that he so deserves because. Um, You may or may not know Jake, but he is a British broadcaster. He started out in children's television, I believe, um, and then kind of made a, Big impact on the motorsport world because he worked covering the BBC sports coverage of Formula One back in 2009 up until 2012, Um, and there isn't really a sport that you haven't done since. You've done Olympics, you've done football, you've done BBC Sports Personality of the Year. I mean, you're you're constantly on the go working. You've got your own production company with David Coulthard, Whisper, um, which obviously does a bit of Formula One and other stuff as well. And you've got your own podcast. performance podcast Um, Mm and you do stuff I believe running scholarship schemes for local students you work with sustainable brands including Coral which we'll talk about later so really I mean Jake I just think you haven't really achieved that much in um, the 42 years of your life you know I think you should work a bit harder
1: that's (laughs) the reason to keep going I'm waiting for the success to arrive someone told me once just keep on (laughs) it's all about the process not the outcome so I'm I'm fully embedded in the process I'm just waiting for the outcome at the moment
0: yeah. And you've only written a couple of books as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Oh yeah. That might In be behind me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get that track, out high performance.
1: Really? I don't think it's worth buying. The high performance book will be, will be worth purchasing. But no, do you know what, Nikki? I think part of the good and bad for me is that I get, um, I get easily bored. And so there's always like then what's the next project? What's the next thing? And I read a book recently, um, which I would recommend to anyone listening and watching this, um, I don't know whether Alex or Alexander's had a read of it, or even you have called the 5am club. Do you know it?
0: I have. I've heard of it. It's a book that my husband has read. I have And
1: and in it, it talks about true success is getting down to like the absolute granular detail in life. And I think maybe that's something I need to think about for, for the next couple of years, rather than just everything, everything, everything really getting to the granular detail of the things that I am working on until they're sort of fully exploited. But Man, if life's not about experiences, what is it about?
0: Very true, very true. Um, I think that's why we're all so lucky to work in an industry that we all love so yeah. much that doesn't really feel like you ever have to go to work. <laughs> well, I'm yet to feel like I have to go to work anyway. Um, but how did you? Because obviously, we're you know we're, we'll sort of focus on the motorsport side. I mean, you do work mm. in a lot of other sports as well, but. That first gig, the Formula One gig, I mean, that's 2009. So you were, what, 30 or something? Um, yeah, I would have been
1: maybe 29 when I got the job, yeah.
0: I mean, that's yeah. a huge, uh, particularly, you know, moving into the world of Formula One, where the fans are passionate, the fans are unforgiving. You cannot yeah, yeah. get anything wrong <laughs> because Twitter will tell you about it. The fans will write you. Yeah. <laughs> So So it's a huge responsibility, particularly you know, live BBC. How did you find that?
1: Mm. I um, I found the initial moment quite difficult because I went for it. So I was working on Children's BBC at the time. You're totally right, Nikki, and I was asked to go for a meeting with the new head of Formula One, and they basically asked me some questions about Formula One. I then had to write a side of A4 about how I see the coverage going, which is interesting when I look back at it now because it spoke about Hiring David Coulthard and Eddie Jordan, which we did. We spoke about doing this red button F1 forum, which is something that we did. And it was really successful and getting in the pit lane rather than just standing on the outside in the paddock and things. I was really keen for us to get into the garages. And at that time, no broadcasters were doing that. So I wrote that sort of document for them. Didn't really think the job would be mine because I'd had a meeting about a year before with someone at BBC Sports who'd said to me that they don't employ people like me, by which she meant, kids TV presenter who didn't go to university and didn't have any journalistic qualifications and hadn't competed at any level in sport. So I was kind of breaking the mold in some ways. And then they said to me, right, we're going to offer you the job, which was the most amazing thing. And the only person I told was Harriet, who I obviously introduced you to at the beginning of this. And that was great until the actual day when they announced the new Formula One team and Harriet called me in tears and this is like half an hour after the announcement was made i said what what's the problem and she said i've been on the internet and and everyone thinks you're going to be useless and she'd actually gone onto the bbc sport website where they had a forum at the time and on the formula one forum there was a whole list of people saying why have you given this job to a to a kid's tv presenter what does this guy know about formula one where has he come from um so then you just have to hold your nerve i guess and believe that the way you're going to do it, which for me was about trying to get fans as close to the heart of Formula One as possible, was the right way to do it. But I suppose I remember, I do vividly remember standing in the pit lane in Australia in 2009, March, and the, the chain, that famous chain theme tune down my earpieces. And I kind of knew that at that moment, everyone was going to make their decision about whether this guy from Kids TV was going to be good or bad for the sport. And you probably we're going to get 30 seconds to convince not just the audience at home, but also my boss and the BBC had given me a one year contract. So it wasn't like if it went badly, I might get a second season to prove that things were going to be okay. So it was kind of like all on black basically. And let's see if if they spin the wheel and it comes up. Mm. So it was nerve wracking. But then at the end of the season, I got a letter from a lady saying, I just want to say I was in the garage with you in Brazil when Jensen Button won the world championship. And I've never seen or heard anything like that in my life. It's the most remarkable thing to be that close to a world champion winning the Formula One world title. And then she signed off by saying, so thanks very much for taking me from my living room here in Bristol to the Formula One garage. And that was the letter for me that summed up everything we wanted to do with that, that coverage. And why I think it sort of impacted people in the way that it did, because we did take them, you know, from their sofas into the pit lane. And that was always the aim. It's like the guys that get to drive these amazing Formula E cars, like they know how unbelievable their life and their job is. You get to stand in the pit lane and present it. You know, it's amazing. So we've got to take people at home into that pit lane, into that car, into that garage, into that world, because it's fascinating and people deserve to be there.
0: And it's amazing because you were doing that at a time where we didn't have things like a YouTube and yeah. Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. It like drivers weren't allowed to use their, well, they didn't exist, you know, to have their Instagram account to show that behind the scenes. So you were literally the only eyes and ears on the ground in yeah. those races. The only way you were understanding what was going on was through you guys. Whereas I yeah, think yeah. Obviously, there were so many different platforms, and, and that should be interesting to get um, Alex and Alexander's view on this because. You know, there is this responsibility now as a driver. You're not just here as a driver. You're not just here to turn up, to get in the car and perform on track. You're also, you have all these media commitments. And I don't know what your view is, whether you find them a faff, a pain in the backside, <laughs> particularly when I'm shoving a microphone in your face. But you've also got to do a lot on social media, in between the races, as when you're at a race event as well, you've got a million things sort of on your mind. Um, Alexander, how do you find it? Is it is it something that you've become accustomed to doing now or is it just one of those things that you really don't want to have to think about?
2: And to be honest, o- over the years, I think um, as social media has changed and yeah, we get to understand what's what's needed of us, um, It's it's become pretty pretty okay you know I'm I'm more than happy to to take the time during the day to to speak to whoever needs an interview or whatever um the part I struggle with honestly is sort of in between the races when I'm with my family at home yeah I I I keep myself separate you know I, I I try to switch off from social media I don't um want to to mix the two really when I'm at home I turn back into being a husband and a dad and um and yeah, then trying to balance it when you do get requests to, to try and sort of go back into work mode for mm. an hour or two during your day off um, is, is uh, something that, I, again, I've learned to deal with, but still, I uh, try to give my family the, the time that they deserve as well.
0: Yeah. And and Alex, what about you? You're you're pretty good on your Instagram.
3: <laughs> uh, I think um, I've fallen in and out of love with social media a bit over the last few years. Like, you know... You, I really liked it at a certain point, and then a bit. You know, it, it is hard to, to keep up with it. I think um, to me the the one thing that has changed, I think, is f- for our job is, you know, the higher up the ranks you go, um, and let's say the more high profile the championship gets, as soon as you leave your hotel room, you're you're on, you know, and that's and you're not off until you walk back into your hotel room. Everything you do is scrutinized, and you've got to be the person that a bit. Sometimes everyone wants you to see not only on camera but also the team wants you to be as well you know you have to be you have to be seen to um, to be in control and be yeah. and be a leader of sorts uh, whether that's on camera or just around your your team
0: you know particularly as well if you look at the kind of the drive to survive model you know it's all the behind the scenes stuff off camera stuff that everyone loves um, but obviously having a camera crew following you the whole time is tough. And I know Formula E are, are doing a sort of similar thing at the moment. They've got behind the scenes cameras. And there was a moment, I think in the last race, where I suddenly realised that they were following me and capturing me. And I was like, oh God, what have I just been doing? And you suddenly realise, you know, I've been stressing about one thing, like trying to get in to see a driver and being annoyed that I can not do that. And you're thinking, oh God, all of that's been caught on camera. Oh dear, I wonder how that's going to come across. And it does make you think <laughs> um, that you're kind of on show all the time Um, I mean Jake from your perspective you know as a as a broadcaster you know you've also got your own production company what Drive to Survive has done for for not just Formula One but I think for motorsport has brought across so many new fans Um, what what's your thoughts on it or did you binge watch it <laughs>
1: Yeah, of course, man. Of course I binge watch it because it, <laughs> it like I have to be honest. When I left Formula 1 in 2012, I went for an amazing opportunity at BT Sport um to do Premier League football which is great, but also we were having children and I couldn't travel the world and have kids. That just wasn't, you know, the way that I sort of had my life planned out and ha- and the sort of um approach I wanted to take. But I loved Formula 1 so much. It felt like the most sort of natural job for me. So to step away was so hard. And then to watch that, I love just seeing what goes on. And actually it's the same old faces, doing the same old things in the same old way, getting frustrated by the same thing. So it kind of makes me feel like, ah, oh, I haven't missed too much then. Because it's it just as it always was. It's really interesting drive to survive because, and social media, from a broadcaster's perspective. Because if you look at Formula E, Premier League football, Formula 1, Rugby, cricket. These broadcasters are paying like millions and millions of pounds to deliver that content to people at home. Then the really juicy stuff is either on the driver's Instagram, on the team social media account, Mm -hmm. on Drive to Survive. Where does that leave broadcasters in the future? Where does that? Where does it leave that sort of content? That is the really interesting conversation that I think you know Mm -hmm. we need to be having in in the in the, the short term because it will impact the long term. And in terms of the social media thing, I mean, I'm a bit older than all of you. So I I remember getting onto Twitter the very first day that they sort of launched it when I was doing Formula One. And you know what, right? It was the most uplifting, positive, celebratory, wonderful place to be because people at that time were like, well, I can just like send a message and you can see it and, <laughs> and you can take a photo. I mean, I, there used to be all these weird apps to try and take photos to put onto your... Instagram and on your Twitter because Instagram wasn't around on, on Twitter and I used to get it wrong all the time so I would, I remember putting this tweet up once in Germany on the way to the circuit I was getting all these random phone calls on my phone and I got there and I thought oh I'll just check my Twitter and it put do you remember those old Y frog things which was like an app for taking photos onto your social media you're probably too young but it, it put up this thing saying the picture on my Twitter was you've received a photo message from plus four four seven and it put, phone number up with rather than the picture. So I was getting a load of vocals, but it's been very interesting for me seeing social media go from, this is just amazing. We're finally having conversations about things we didn't know with people we couldn't get to, to what it is now, which is a kind of bit of a depressing, um, cesspit of aggression and anger and vitriol. And there's no nuance left is there it's one thing or the other. And so I'm a bit like the guys really, I kind of feel I have to use it for work. Um, and I, I fall in and out of love with it all the time. Really, I mean, you're amazing, Nikki. I see your stuff. Like you're basically an influencer, right? <laughs> that's, that's, I don't influence much. I can say like, <laughs> maybe my mum. I don't know. Do you find it hard, Nikki? I do find I do find it difficult. Actually, to I, try it and...
0: doesn't, it's something that does not come naturally to me. I it, like it takes a lot of perseverance, and I overthink things, and I don't post stuff. And I hold back it takes me yeah it's not easy whereas I know some friends are just naturally they just keep going keep posting I think right. I sort of overthink things which isn't necessarily a bad thing I suppose um well you know I, I obviously put content up sometimes like on my stories of Arthur who's my two-year-old son whether I should be doing that I don't know sometimes I think oh maybe I shouldn't but then I also like to show that I I don't I do other things away from a racetrack so it's, it's really difficult it's really difficult to find that balance um, I also know I'm that a lot of people. Check it out, the- Alex. The- Alex has He's not said. put a
1: story up in the last 24 hours, Nikki. I mean, this is like, come on, Al. What was that? Sorry? He's not put a story up in the last 24 hours. Um, I'm just oh, checking.
0: His- oh, you did. No, I
1: haven't. I, haven't.
0: Wait, I tell you what, take a photo now and you can put a little story up after the podcast recording.
1: Eel. <laughs> Eel. <Ew. laughs> <Ew. Ew. laughs> oh, oh, hang
0: on. Sorry. Alex. Oh, where- what are you doing? Oh, sorry, telling- sorry,
3: sorry, sorry. I was trying to take a screenshot and it went wrong.
0: Oh, Oh, yes, that's a good point. You can't... Wait, I'll take a screenshot. All right, all
3: right.
0: I'll take it on my laptop because you guys are on your phones. There we are. Everyone, wave, look happy. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. Um, and I'll send that to you afterwards. You can, you can use me. it to promote this podcast or podcast, I should call it. Um, but, uh, Jake, just quickly, what are your thoughts on Formulary e generally as a whole? Because, you know, we've probably known you in the most world as the F1 guy, but Formulary e, is it's yeah. not new anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's our seventh season. Um, what are your thoughts on the championship so far? I'm
1: a, I'm a really big fan of Formula 1. I mean, I think, first of all, when it first started, um, the look of the cars was the thing that made everyone go, wow. You know, it did. I think it dated Formula 1 cars really quickly. And you look, you I remember comparing the two a few years back. And I think that Formula 1 has has had to react and will need to react further to keep pace because the cars look fantastic. Um, and I think that as the series has, has grown and and gone to different places. I remember when it first started; like the racing was great, but the locations weren't. Do you remember? And it didn't look like it didn't look lustrous. And so, I think it needs to look great as well. But I love personally the here, hearing the tires squeal, mm-hmm. and seeing the racing. And I think if people give a Formula e a chance, which they are now more and more every single season, they'll realise that the racing is fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. And I think that it's been um, it's been a it's been a series of constant progression and i can't see it as anything other than the the, the future of motorsport and i think and i'm talking about electric there i think across all series you know i think motor gp will have to be electric what endurance will have to be i think that formula e will probably be the, the leader in that sense but how is there going to be cars driving around in circles emitting exhaust gases and other things in the future when I think that all road cars are going to go fully electric in in the not too distant future. And every time you do something like work with, a, you know, you mentioned Coral, the Iowa brand that Alexander is beautifully sporting today because we've got a really good relationship with him. And that's fishing nets taken out of the sea, right? Whenever you work with a brand like that, or when you watch a documentary like Sea Spiracy, or when you really look at the facts around global warming and the impact. And, you know, on my podcast, we've spoken with like, Susie Ma who created Tropic skincare, and she's absolutely passionate about saving coral reefs Um, when you have these kinds of conversations you realise that we can't just keep it how it always was and assume that just because that was always the number one it always will be I think our grandchildren will be in absolute disbelief and will say to us what so you used to go to a place and fill up a car like with this stuff that you drilled into the sea to get and then you drove around and you had like a pipe on the back and you knew that the stuff coming out of the pipe was killing people, but you all drove around. Like, is that, like, seriously? And I think that is the sort of questions that our children will, our grandchildren will ask us. So I think Formula E does an amazing job to promote sustainability, but at the same time, it has to be entertaining. Has, the racing has to be great. And, and I think it is, and, and it's brilliant to see Alex and Alexander right at the forefront of it, for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Alex, Alexander, I don't know, what are your thoughts on because, you know, the future, the future of motorsport has to be electric, right? Or is it hydrogen? I don't know, because ultimately, by 2030, when a lot of countries around the world are banning the sale of new internal combustion cars, there is going to be little points in manufacturer's racing in the likes of Formula One, if the cars are internal combustion engine cars, because of course there is always this element of um, developing technology from the racetrack into road cars. And if that no longer has a place in the world, then where are we going to see the future of motorsport? Is it all going to be electric? Is it going to be hydrogen or is it going to be another alternative? I don't know. Um, Alex, do you want to kick this off?
3: <laughs> I think it's, it's quite a big question to be honest. Um, But in a sense, well, I guess both Alexander and I, we we race in, you know, Formula E is definitely our our main priority in our, in our racing careers right now, but also we compete in, in other championships with um, internal combustion engine cars. So at the same time, it's, uh, of course, Formula E is, is the future. But I think I'm going to sit here and say, I know what the future is because all the time, um, new biofuels are being made and you know all of these um different variants are coming to the fore to make everything cleaner and more environmentally friendly so from that side it would be i think from my side too much to say what is going to happen although what i can say is formerly is very cool and exciting and promotes the right message um and that message might not necessarily be that electric is hundred percent the way it's going to go. But it, what it is promoting is being sustainable is also cool. It's sexy. It's exciting. It's all of those things. And I think that that is one thing as a driver, I feel proud to be promoting yeah. that, that this is still really cool.
0: But that's so interesting that you say it's like cool and sexy. Now it is now. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't seven years ago when Formula E started, you know, electric cars had a bad reputation. The road electric cars that were out there were pretty slow, they were pretty unattractive. Um, You know, you mentioned the word sustainable and no one really listened. Whereas now, yeah, being sustainable is cool. And actually, um, Alexander, that kind of ties in quite nicely with what Jake just mentioned, the eyewear and company Coral that you're, well, Alexander, you're an ambassador for, and um, Jake, you also have a partnership with, I believe. Um, tell us a little bit more about the eyewear um, brand Coral and, and how you got involved and, and uh, yeah, and how the glasses are all made.
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, Coral, uh, sorry, do you want me to answer or oh, Jake? Sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Alexander, yeah,
2: yeah um, I mean, Jake's probably got more of a backstory to it. Um, <laughs> but uh, from my, from my point of to- view. I'm just yeah, checking. Know, that I'm just checking. You
1: have right the that knowledge. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm making sure that this is a genuine partnership right now. No pressure. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, to be honest, when you were saying all the things about seven years ago when Formula E started, electric cars um, and sustainability might have been cool. I mean, maybe that ties in with me not being the coolest person on this world because I was into it back then. Um, and I was driving an electric uh, car and I made it work. But anyway, too, Alexander. <laughs> Um Alexander. But anyway, Coral, yeah, uh, I, that's one thing that being involved in Formula E I think really helps uh me personally is that i can get my interests from my personal life and tie in with what i do as a profession in motorsport and um be talking about the same things basically now which is which is awesome um but yeah with with coral they take fishing nets out of the sea recycle them uh it's fishing nets are are made out of pretty much the most durable plastic you can get and it's basically infinitely recyclable um, it's not like the single-use plastic that's um, potentially can biodegrade a bit quicker, but it's it's actually a useful plastic if you use it in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they take those fishing nets, um, melt them back down. I don't know exactly the process, um, but anyway, they, they do well so
1: in. far. Yeah. Doing well so far.
2: Back into uh, back into uh, sunglasses and, and yeah, uh, eyeglasses as well. Um, and bizarrely, which I. Yeah, found quite shocking. Before Coral, there's not a single eyewear manufacturer on the market that uses recycled materials. You know, every other eyeglasses uh, manufacturer out there is using virgin plastics and adding to the problem of of plastic pollution and not not helping to to rectify it. So, um, yeah, when we were made aware of Coral, uh, once Jake had... um, Done his thing to, to help George and the team get off the ground and uh, get going then it seemed like the perfect partnership for, for me to be involved with now that I wear glasses day in day out.
0: And um, so I mean um, they're brilliant glasses I have tried and tested them I'm actually just uh, waiting for my pair in the post otherwise I would <laughs> be wearing them right now. <laughs> um. So Jake how did you first find out about Coral? How did you kind of get involved and um. yeah what drew you in?
1: It's a combination really of things like I would say that only really in the last four or five years have I really started to understand that we have to make changes if this planet is going to survive. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about here, the survival of the planet. So um, there is nothing bigger, quite simply. But I also understand that people don't want to be told you can't do stuff and you need to change your life and life needs to be less fun and less exciting and less good looking and less forward thinking. It doesn't. It's just little changes. So I I ordered these. I mean, I, this is, no brand I'm involved in, but I ordered these the other day. Um, Chewing gum with no no plastic in. So you chew chewing gum, you chuck it out your car window, and thousands of years later, that bit of plastic is still sitting there. So this is sugar-free, plastic-free chewing gum. So that's an example of you can still chew gum, but you don't have to chuck plastic all over the place. Coral eyewear is a bit like Formula E, where we're not saying, oh, yeah, you want to wear recycled environmentally friendly eyewear where you're not going to look great, but you can do it if you want. We, we basically want to say that you can look as good if not better than any other sunglasses or eyewear brand. And you can help the planet at the same time. So there, as uh, as Alex Zander perfectly put they their fishing nets taken out of the sea, there's plastic taken out of landfill turned into eyewear, but then they're d- designer eyewear handmade in a beautiful little factory in Italy. Flown back over here to the UK. All of the carbon from all of that work is offset, and then the case is recycled. The cloth is recycled. Okay. When you order them and they're delivered to your house, they come in a recycled cardboard tube, and all of the delivery is offset against carbon as well. So the actual process is completely carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. Plus, we've taken the plastic out of the landfill and out of the ocean, and mm-hmm. so they're planet positive. And then they can be infinitely recycled. And I think it's it's important that we do our bit because. We, people pick up on weird stuff like straws. Do you remember when ever, no one wanted to use straws? Yep, and you went in and like, no, 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 we're not selling straws, no straws in here. You mm-hmm. straws make up 0.03% of the plastic in the ocean. Discarded fishing nets make up half the plastic and the waste sitting in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So it was about focusing our attention really in the right places. That. And that's exactly what Coral Eyewear are doing. And I think they're absolutely fantastic. And I love them. And we're so pleased to be partnering with Alexander and with Mahindra to try and spread the message that you can care about the environment and you can still look good.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. you can look as good as you can.
1: Well, exactly. yeah, you, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't look great in them, but...
0: That's not personal. Uh, that's not directed at you, Jake. You look She's great.
1: She's having a go at us there, Alexander. Did you just spot that?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, just
1: going <laughs> to change well, tack. Not, fabulous you, um, you out chosen out. a colour, you're getting <laughs> delivered, Nicky. Have you uh, got
0: some coming. I do have some coming. Is that but- better, Nikki? Sorry. Hey! Oh, now we're talking. He's got the shades you know, on.
2: A, you look like a you oh, look the, like a DJ, DJ maybe those glasses I'm on the glasses and, he and the
0: headphones. Just on, he's just put on a pretty cool pair of they're kind of pink reflective lenses. There, very snazzy. Brilliant. Mahindra oh, like like
2: colors on brand.
0: hey uh, of course. We've got okay.
1: some new um some new colors. They're called bright, Ooh. so they're they're good for the summer. Oh, wicked. Yeah.
0: Jake's now there's another DJ.
1: Right, I can carry off pink, index. and there's a blue pair. Look, I think these are lovely, Mum.
0: Very they're true. Blue, those like those are about
1: perhaps a bit small for I my can face. just
0: see oh, now with a little sort of set of decks in front of you, you know, getting yeah. your shoes going. And if you, you know,
1: and if you've got, and if you got kids, right by the way, I was going <laughs> to say,
2: yeah, they're brilliant, wow. aren't they?
0: That's amazing. So the arms of the sunglasses completely bend; they don't break. That's amazing.
2: It's just the type of plastic. that's, yeah. Fantastic. Really, really okay, able We're to
0: go into different forms. No longer glasses that are going to break or reshape or whatever.
1: <laughs> Bend so them as much as you like.
0: Would you count yourself as a bit of an entrepreneur then, Jake, given, you know, production companies, um, sustainable eyewear yeah. companies? <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess I would actually. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that's changed quite a bit as well in the last few years for me. I think that one of the interesting things in life, right, is doing something like success leads clues. Basically you do something and it gives you the evidence that maybe you could do something a little bit more. So I would never have believed that I just sort of saw myself as the guy that presented TV programs. If someone had said to me, yeah, but you can run the company that makes these programs. I wouldn't have believed it, but then you do it and you realize that there is no secret. Like when I first got into formula one, I would say to people like Alex and Alexander and, and Dillbag and all the other investors and owners and team bosses and Billionaires and team principals, like, how do you get here? And they would all just say, well, hard work, having a dream, being ambitious, being relentless, Mm -hmm. working harder than everybody else. There's no secret to any of that stuff. So then you think, right, what do I really, really want to do? I'd love to own a production company. I'd love to invest in young people. So that's why I have that scholarship program at the UEA. And that's George who set up Coralie, where he was a UEA student, he was a teenager. So Okay, I'm just going to do that. I'm just literally going to ring the university and say I'd like to invest in um, the young people at the university. Or I really want to talk about mindset and positivity and believing that you can do something right. I'm going to go and create a podcast and I'm going to and I'm going to set that up. It is really exciting um, to do those things, because, again, it comes back to the whole thing about life being about experiences, Nikki. And I would love anyone listening to this to understand that there is absolutely nothing remotely special about me, you, Alexander, Alex, you know, we've all had, I assume relatively normal upbringings in relatively normal places, but then had a bit of ambition and a bit of a dream and a lot of hard work and, and amazing things can come from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've just got to, something about believing in yourself and that actually, yeah, if you just keep working at it. You sure. can hopefully get there <laughs> and not giving up um speaking about your podcast actually high performance podcast um alex lynn i know you're 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 a bit of a fan of this you've been listening to it a fair amount
3: been rumbled yeah yeah no, no, i'm I'm a big fan i'm a big fan yeah yeah like what, what do you like about it well what i like the most is and I, this is something i when i was younger i um started enjoying list oh sorry reading a lot of um sportsmen's books um and I think, you know, when I was yeah young and karting, like trying to work out how do, how do I become better and stuff. And I think there was one thing I always thought about, like, there are days where I don't really feel that good. I don't feel that motivated. And that was actually the first lesson I learned was, oh, does that make me not good enough? Maybe it does. Like, that was like my first sort of self-doubt in my life, I think, when I was younger. And then I started reading books um, on, like, other sportsmen and actually that was one thing they spoke about. There there were days I didn't feel good enough. I had a terrible loss and I wanted to give up and Oh, okay. So I'm not, I'm not, not good enough. Then maybe maybe I can still be good enough. And it's just those lessons that you, that you learn. And then obviously as I've got older, I guess now this is another form of listening to um, people. I admire's story and the lessons they learn, the hardships they go through, but then, how do you bounce back? Because I think everyone in their life goes through difficulties or goes through lessons and it's about how you respond. And I guess I enjoy greatly listening to a lot of Jake's guests about how they got to where they are and the lessons they learned. And I think it's really cool to, to always take something away from someone.
0: It's really interesting. and um, Alex, I mean, do you obviously you've had that, you know, that change in approach to things, but do you still find that now on a daily or weekly or monthly basis like, oh, hang on a minute, this is hard work. You know, do I deserve to be here? Or do you sort of question um, things still today, even though in obviously most people's eyes, you've made it, you're at the top of your game. Like this is the moment of success um, to be doing what you do now.
3: I think every sportsman would be lying to say that there isn't every single day you, you judge yourself because in the end, when the lights go out on a Saturday or a Sunday, the only, it's about how, you, how good you are today. Not about yesterday. It's about today. How good you are right now. Mm-hmm. And whether you win or lose, you're going to know how good you are. Um, and I think you always, you always learn something from that. But again, like you, like you said, you, you're always questioning yourself and questioning how can I improve? Because the same, I'm not the same guy I was five years ago when I might have won a championship and I won't be the same guy in another five years time when ho- hopefully I'll still be winning something um and that's you're always learning about yourself and becoming a, a better version or you're you're changing as your life goes on and your mm-hmm. and your life situation adapts
0: mm-hmm. and do you think you've learned from doing the podcast as well jake you know being able to speak to some of the, the greatest athletes in the world has it changed your perspective on things
1: yeah absolutely absolutely it has and what alex talks about there is is a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And that's all that this podcast is about. It's opening up people's minds to believing that you can choose to have a growth mindset. You can choose to believe that where you're at now is all you're going to be. Or you can choose to believe that you can go anywhere, do anything and achieve the seemingly impossible. So we've had people on there who... Have literally done the impossible. There was a guy called Nims Perger who was a, an explorer. Okay, and the tallest mountains in the world, the seven tallest mountains in the world, the quickest anyone had ever managed to scale them all was across a span of thirteen years. And he did it all in—he did them all in six months. That was literally considered impossible: climbing K2 in winter with no oxygen, impossible. He goes and does it. It's those sorts of conversations, and we're not all going to go and climb. K2, Sia Kulisi, who's the current South African Springboks captain, the first ever black Springboks rugby captain, was born in a slum where he was so poor, his stomach hurt at night and his grandma used to give him sugar water to get him through the night with his stomach pain so he could go to school and get a meal and she died in his arms at eight years old. He had no parents. When he sits on our podcast and says, please, please believe me, you can do anything you want with the mindset, the mindset that you can do it, because he is living proof of that and I think too often now in this world we all feel like victims of circumstance so what we talk about most on the podcast Nikki is Mm -hmm. fault versus responsibility it's none of our fault that there's just been a global pandemic guess what it's still our responsibility to find our own way through it Mm -hmm. it's not your fault if you're bullied at school sadly and as difficult as it sounds and I went through that it's still my responsibility to deal with that Mm -hmm. um a trauma as a young child, not your fault, still your responsibility. The breakdown of a marriage might not be your fault, still your responsibility. And it's a hard lesson I think sometimes, but as soon as people adopt this mindset of saying, do you know what, all kinds of things at any time can try and derail me. But if I take total 100% responsibility for every facet of my life, then I'm gonna go forwards. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a hard thing to train your brain to do, but it's worth doing. And what I always say to people is just for a day, Take 100% responsibility for everything, everything you're eating, drinking, the conversations you're having. If someone in the room isn't happy, make it your responsibility to cheer them up. If something has gone wrong on your production or in your car or in your team, it might be someone else's fault. It doesn't matter. It's your responsibility because looking for blame removes the learning from that situation. And, And I think I went into this podcast wanting to hear stories of struggle and strife and hardship and failing and clawing and challenging yourself. Cause I thought that that was, that was what it was about. And then we had a conversation with Johnny Wilkinson, which if anyone's not heard the podcast before, that's probably a good place to start. It's a bit of a mind bender because it goes off in all sorts of amazing tangents, but he talks about the struggling and the striving and the, and the difficult stuff is actually just giving you more of that stuff. That's not a good healthy place to be. So my mindset now from doing the podcast is um, absolute, total, complete commitment to the cause, being consistent in your commitment, but most of all being happy. Um, and that is that still remains the number one most important element of a high-performance life, enjoying what you're doing. Because if you don't enjoy the process, um, the outcome is, is never as good as you think it's going to be. So you've got to enjoy the journey. Like when these guys are crowned, Formerly world champions in the next couple of years, it won't feel as good as they think it's going to feel right now. That is just the reality. And then they may well have already experienced it where they've lifted trophies and thought, right, that, that's all it felt like. So that's why we all have to enjoy the process all the time.
0: It's so true. You've got to enjoy the here and the now, and not what the future is, because you're never yeah. in the future. You're only in the here and now. Um, that's amazing, Jake. Well, for anyone that's listening or watching that hasn't um, downloaded the podcast before, um, I'm sure it's available on all uh, applications. Yeah. Performance <laughs> podcast. Start with the Johnny Wilkinson one, and go from there. And um, guys, we've kind of run out of time, but I. Got some quick fire questions, so you're going to have to actually be quick with these. Um, So we're going to do one question and then all of you answer at a time. Uh, So first question, um, and just I'm going to do it this way because it's the way you're appearing on my screen. We'll go Jake, Alexander, then Alex. Um, Jake, kick off. What are your three non-negotiable behaviours?
1: Relentlessness. Appreciation of those around you. Positivity.
0: Alexander.
2: Um, honesty, um, determination,
3: and respectfulness. Alex? I would would say honesty, positivity, and the last one is giving up is never an option. (laughs)
0: Um, Is legacy important to you, Jake?
1: I think it is. I think legacy is important to me in terms of the way my children will look back on what dad did for them and and gave them i think um otherwise your hamilton is a brilliant west end play and they talk about legacy as planting seeds in the garden you never get to see them grow so it's not really important to me legacy but i'd like to think it might be important to my kids
0: alexander
2: um similar actually it's not something that i think about every day in terms of trying to create a legacy but um inevitably the actions you uh, carry out today is uh, what you're going to be remembered by so um so yeah, i don't have much better s- things to say sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> alex
3: yeah I, I only want to be remembered hopefully for the person i was and the the character i show in uh in difficult moments and in good moments that's uh, that's all i would love to be remembered by
0: um what advice would you give to your younger self jake
1: Ignore the negativity and believe that the biggest dreams are the ones that you should follow.
0: Alexander?
3: Just to believe in yourself more,
1: be my biggest one. Alex?
3: Probably still that giving up was never an option and it still isn't. Honestly, I think that was one thing I'm, I'm very lucky that I uh,
1: carried, carried through with.
0: Keep that determination going. Um, how did you react to your greatest failure, Jake?
1: um how how did i react to my greatest failure um at the time badly but also making sure that i learned from it what was it i think there's probably quite a few harry what would you say is my greatest failure <laughs> It's a long quite a long list unfortunately I think I it, yeah probably I. Right. The big thing for me was that when I was at school, my mum was a teacher in my year and I failed my A-levels. I got an E, an N, and a U. Um, And the reason why it's important, that I dealt with it badly because I didn't care enough. But the reason why I learned a lot from it was because the day I went back to school, there was a letter from a local TV company asking for students in that class to go and work for them. And that's how my TV career started. If I hadn't failed the A-levels, I'd have never been in the classroom. I'd have been at uni. So listen what seems like a bad thing at the time can sometimes be a blessing in disguise
0: a positive
2: not um, very quick
1: fire sorry
0: <laughs> it's really interesting though uh alexander well,
2: What was the question sorry
0: um, <laughs> i'm so
2: engrossed in jake's answer that what how,
0: are we did you, how did you react to your greatest failure
2: Oof. well my greatest failure probably lasted about nine months um but the yeah, reaction from that was, was probably the biggest, one of the biggest things in my life. Um, and yeah, so turned it around to be a positive in the end, but um, it's, it's hard bouncing back from failure immediately, but it's ultimately very, very important.
3: And Alex? I think, uh, like Alexander said, I think you realize that it's pretty bad whilst it's going on, um, and I guess the only reaction could give was I never wanted to be remembered in that scenario as someone who was um, actually gave in and and rolled over you know I always wanted to a bit go down fighting in in that in that scenario and uh, yeah that was my reaction in a positive way.
0: Good. And then final question what is your golden rule for high performance life? Jake?
1: My golden rule for A high performance life is at the end of every single day as you put your head on your pillow be honest with yourself and think about A, the successes because they need to be celebrated but also where you could have done better. Just give yourself a little mark out of 10 at the end of each day.
0: Alexander?
2: Um, Probably just just to to take responsibility of as many things as possible and just just be very self-critical. It's something that I guess I've always had a a trait of is, is looking inwards rather than outwards and what I can do better
3: rather than what others can. Alex? I would say being honest with the person I see in the mirror every day. I you know, mm-hmm. think that is a, a bit like Alexander's answer actually.
0: Well um, honestly I was not expecting this to be such a kind of uplifting inspiring chat. It's been absolutely brilliant. I've loved it. Um, Hopefully you guys listening and watching all around the world have as well do give jake um jake's podcast to listen to as well and that just leaves me to say a massive thank you to alex alexander and also jake humphrey for coming on the straight talk podcast